This is Stan Bush. I sing Fight to Survive in the movie Bloodsport. You're listening to Justin Ray Harvey. This is Paul Herzog, composer of the music from Bloodsport and Kickboxer, and you are listening to Justin Ray Harvey.
It's time for the hottest internationally known podcast that is endorsed by some of the biggest names in the world of martial arts and entertainment. The Justin Harvey Show has interviewed some of the biggest stars from movies like Blood Fist, Bloodsport, Kickboxer, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This show provides some of the best sound quality and interviews on the web. So sit back and enjoy. You won't be disappointed. So without further ado, here is your 2015 Hall of Famer and host, Justin Harvey. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Justin Harvey here of the Justin Harvey Show. Uh, this is a special Saturday edition of the show and a true honor and dream come true for me because on the phone with me today is my favorite composer, who wrote the movie for, or wrote the music for the movie Kickboxer and Bloodsport, Mr. Paul Herzog. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Welcome to you, too. So how are you doing this evening? I'm just fine. It's kind of like 80 degrees here in sunny California. Oh, wow. Wow. So uh, before, before I take you in the past, Paul, because... That's going to be my favorite segment of the show. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about your um, your new album first before we go into the into the past? Right, I have a new album coming out uh, next week. Uh, that'll be the first last week of January, 2015. Mm-hmm. It's called called Waking the Dragon, and I've written this as a tribute to you guys, the people that are fans of. Kickboxer and Bloodsport, and I'm hoping that you'll like it. I, I've gone back to some of the feelings and attitudes I had when I wrote those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got all new music, but some of the same sounds I used back then. And I had in mind a story as I was writing, and it's uh, a martial arts story. I'm not going to get into that right now. I'll post it on my website next week, mm-hmm. what I was thinking about, and uh, anybody can read it that wants to. But I'm real excited about it. It sounds really good. It's uh, got some modern sounds and some old sounds. Mm-hmm. Some some of my typical feels for fights and for meditation. Awesome, awesome. Um, also, Paul, um, I want my listeners to know uh, they need to really pick up your album that you also released, uh, Freeing the Waters. I really enjoyed that album as well. Right. Uh, that album consists of stuff I actually wrote back around the same time I was writing the movies, Freeing the Waters. Um, I just hadn't gotten around to getting it recorded properly because I didn't have the equipment to do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, about six or seven years ago, I got the equipment to do it, and I finished it at home in my home studio and put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that inspired me to start writing some new music. I hadn't really written anything new for a long time, so... That's why I'm so excited about my new one. But yeah, I had to I had to do freeing the waters to get it out of my system. I had to put that stuff down. It'd been sitting around too long. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to hear it and I wanted other people to hear it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there it was. That that make that makes a lot of sense, Paul. Uh can, can you tell us uh, uh what inspired you or how you uh came about being a composer? Because I think that would be an interesting story in itself. 
Well, I never intended to be a musician or a composer professionally. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a musical household. My parents were classical musicians, and I studied classical music all the way through high school and college. Uh, studied piano and bassoon. Uh, when I got to college, I got uh, sort of sidetracked and fell in love with rock and roll. And mm-hmm. by the time I got out of college, I decided I wanted to be a rock musician. Um, I was naive enough to think I could uh, go to New York and write some songs and get a record deal. Um, I don't think the songs I was writing then were very good, and I didn't get a record deal. And so then I just started playing in bands, and I played in bands for a number of years. And I wasn't really writing my own music um, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And then I got involved, long story short, with some guys that were uh, scoring a low-budget film. They asked me to come in and program synthesizers and drum machines and help arrange things. And I ended up uh, writing some of the some of the music because they needed some rock music, and the producer really liked it. And I found that I really really liked writing to film. It inspired me much more than just sitting around on my own. So my best music generally comes when I'm uh, watching a story and trying to figure out where, where the emotion is and let my music give it some emotion. Mm-hmm. So that was. Uh, the start of it, and I got really kind of lucky and fell into some things, including so, blood sport. Mm-hmm. So it's like right place, right time type of thing? Yeah. Well, it, it took me a lot of years to get to that point, and knowing a lot of people, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was uh, right place, right time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, here, here's an interesting question, Paul. Um and I'm not, I'm not doing these particularly in order, but uh, are you aware that there's a uh, Kickboxer remake? I've seen it online. I've heard about it. Um, nobody's, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody's called me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, you know, I'd sure love to uh, write some more music for films, and I'd sure love to do that. But mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see what happens. See if anybody ever <laughs> finds me and talks to me about it. Yeah, because I... I, I would love to see you work on the project, honestly. Right. Um, I think so with a lot of a lot of people, including me. But, mm-hmm. Well, you know, Hollywood's a funny place, and once you uh, get out of the business, it's pretty hard to get back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we'll that makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, now I want to jump into you know real quickly here, Paul. I want to jump into my. Uh, favorite uh, segment of the show because uh, I have made it my mission to actually track you down specifically for this story as people people may not realize it but there's actually uh, two versions of the Bloodsport soundtrack one was only released um, in Germany which I have both actually one was only released in Germany and then you you re-released uh, one here in the U.S. back in 2007. Can you kind of give us the backstory on exactly what happened? Because there are some differences between the two soundtracks. For for example, well, two good examples is uh, uh, "Fight to Survive" is not performed by Stan Bush, and then. On track six, 
was on my own alone, there's an extra, there's like an extra vocal part right. in there. Right. So. Well, I can I can give you the full story here. So, uh, Bloodsport. Well, I scored Bloodsport in 1987. Um, and by the way, I have liner notes that are on my website that explain a lot of what happened that mm-hmm. anybody can read if they want to. Um, Canon didn't want to release it apparently because it took them a year to put it out. And then everybody, including Canon, was surprised by how well it did. And a couple of years later, I think it was about 1990, uh, Canon was going through some changes. They had changed their name to Pathé. They were trying to start making big-time movies. Um, unfortunately, they didn't last very long. Uh, and I got a call from the new music director for Pathé, and he said that some folks in Germany wanted to put out a Bloodsport CD. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to back up for a minute. When I recorded in 1987 the songs with Stan Bush, he was under contract to a record label, and the record label told us we could not use his voice anywhere except the film. So I had some legal papers saying that Stan's voice could not be used on a CD at that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, the guy in charge of music, Joachim, uh, what was his name? Joachim was his first name. Um he told me that we'd have to use a different singer. So he hooked me up with a guy named Paul Delf, mm-hmm. who also had a little studio at his disposal, and he could engineer. So I went and worked with him. We re-recorded the vocals and remixed, and I added a verse to On My Own Alone. Um, I did that myself uh, without my writing partner. I just felt that on a record, it ought to be a longer version. Um, mm-hmm. That's where that came from. I just I like a song to be a song. In the film, it only has one verse, mm-hmm. so uh, I I threw in another one just for fun. Um, I don't know if anybody liked it or not, um, and that's why the songs are different. That's why the uh, singer was different. It was for legal reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that CD, all that happened was I I was involved with Paul in re-recording, but. He engineered uh, the songs are the two songs are about twice as loud as anything else on the CD because he was an engineer but he wasn't exactly a trained engineer he just made them as loud as he could and gave them to Pathé mm-hmm. they sent everything to Germany and somebody in Germany put things together they didn't even bother to uh, level the the le- you know the sound levels of anything so. Some of the stuff is louder than others. They didn't do anything that I could see except throw them together. They put them in the wrong order. They spliced things together that didn't go together in the movie. I, I was pretty disappointed with it, but uh, you know, I had nothing to to say about it. Um, Canon owned the movie music, um, and that's usually what happens when a composer is a, a new composer working in the business. The company owns the rights to the publishing. So I didn't really have any say in it. And then, you know, fast forward many years later, when Rob Esterhammer at Perseverance wanted to put it out, well, he worked with me. And so we got new digital copies of all the mixes. And then I put them in order. I put them in the right order. Uh, we tweaked certain uh, levels. Um, I edited out some noises <laughs> that shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm really happy with it. it that's as good as it's going to sound, given the fact that it was recorded in the 80s and 
I was using pretty primitive music. I'm, tr- I'm sorry, pretty pr- primitive instruments. So uh, I, I'm happy with that. Uh, that's to me is the music to Bloodsport as good as it's going to get. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants it, um, that's where to get it. I don't know if there are any kicking around left because I think he sold out. But there might be a few around here and there that mm-hmm. uh, certain record companies might have online for sale. Yeah, because I I know I know when I was looking for the blood uh, blood sport soundtrack at first, um, my brother got me the Germany version uh, for Christmas, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. And you know, I I was kind of you know I was kind of upset that Stan did not do uh, Fight to Survive, but I was still I was still quite pleased with it, and I I did like the fact that there was an extra. Like an extra line and on my own one, that was really, really cool. Okay. Really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you that uh, when Rob wanted to put out the new version, he actually went and made a deal with Stan to get use Stan's original vocal. So I was really happy with that. Oh, wow. That, 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 that's amazing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm loving this, Paul. This, this is great. This mm-hmm. is awesome. <laughs> well, it's good to talk about it. Uh, oh. you know, Bloodsport and Kickboxer have been good to me over the years. Oh. Uh, you know, I never I never expected, you know, I don't think anybody expected it to do what it has done over the history of its uh, life here. I mean, it, it's it's a film that everybody still likes. Mm-hmm. And and it's really cool. So, oh oh yeah, it's 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 uh it's what it, it's it's my all-time favorites, actually, Paul. And as a homage to you, I've actually I actually covered um, "Fight to Survive" and "On My Own Alone." Cool. Yeah, I think you sent me the "Fight to Survive." Yeah, I, yeah. A rough and rugged version. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's nowhere near as cool as your version, but as a homage, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm I'm glad. Um, and also, Paul, um, you here recently you just uh, re-released uh, the Kickboxer soundtrack. Uh, can you talk about why you decided to do a re-release and some of the differences in the new and old releases right. of those two? Originally, um, right after Kickboxer came out, uh, somebody and I'm not even sure who. Uh, released a CD with the songs on it um, in Germany. And some people even claim there was one in America, but I haven't seen it. I have a copy of the German one. Um, it has just the songs on it, plus it's one of my uh, cues, the last fight cue, I remixed for an uh, album. And it also has a song on it that I wrote that was going to originally be the end, the end credit song, but it was a ballad in the the producer decided he wanted an up-tempo rock tune, which I agree with was a better idea. But mm-hmm. I put that on the the song CD. And then, you know, I never heard anything from it. I've never been paid a dime for it. Um, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, I forget what year it was, about 2005 or six. I got a phone call from uh, this guy with a slight German accent, Rob Esterhammer, telling me he was going to put out the first kickboxer uh, underscore tra- uh, soundtrack. You know, mm-hmm. no songs, just my music. 
and that we put together. Uh, I, I, I helped him master it and sequence it. In fact, I was the only one that had copies of of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already thrown out the wide tape because <laughs> we needed room in our garage. Um, but I had uh, a a master mix saved on a primitive uh, DAT type format. And the uh, studio where I recorded and mixed still had the machine that played it. So we went down there and mastered it from that. And that was the first one that came out. And then just recently, Rob decided he wanted to re-release that plus all the songs in the movie. Mm-hmm. So he went out and made deals with everybody to get the uh, songs. I, I think there was one song he left off because he couldn't get a decent copy of it. It just didn't work. But other than that, everything, all the music from the film is is on that CD. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it sounds fine. It sounds good. It's it's the same underscore music that was on the earlier Perseverance release, plus mm-hmm. plus the song. So that was that was that was cool. I, I haven't talked to him for a while, so I don't know how many of those he's sold yet. So they might still be available if anybody's interested. Wow! That's a, yeah, that's, that's a good that's a good uh, CD. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time I did uh, Kickboxer, I knew a lot more about film music and writing for movies and also recording. And I think, to me, the the songs and the, the score of Kickboxer are better than Bloodsport. That's just personally for me. Mm-hmm. I know that most of the fans out there prefer Bloodsport, but I just felt that I had become a much better composer by Kickboxer time. Yeah. I really I really enjoy listening to that music. And plus, I had some no, some better equipment by then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, so. now when it came to when it came to finding someone to do fight to survive and on my own alone, uh, was it like a really tough challenge for you? Was there anybody else that you were considering? Um, how did yeah, you stand? You know, I, I had been working with all kinds of singers. That's how I made my money. I sort of recorded or, or produced and arranged artist demos and songwriter demos. And I met a lot of singers and worked with a lot of different people in L.A. And there were a number of singers that uh, I considered, but it came down to Stan was the guy, the producer, Mark DeSalle liked. Uh, Mark fell in love with his voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly I liked it. I mean, I'd known Stan for a long time. I even played on one of his albums in 1983. And he... You know, I'd, I'd known him for seven or eight years when I did Bloodsport, and you know he was the voice that the producer wanted. As simple as that. I mean, you know, he was one of the ones I considered, and he was the one that we chose. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Cause and and uh, I'm I'm totally happy with the way it came out. It was perfect, perfect mm-hmm. for the movie. Mm-hmm. He's he's got a great voice. Oh, yeah, because I, I remember having, I wanted to share this with you real quick, Paul. I remember having uh, Stan on the show, and he actually recorded me a personal promo and put um, uh, Fight to Survive behind it. And um, he's like, wow, he says, I can't believe I actually sang that high. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew he could sing that high. I wrote it in that key, so he'd have to stretch a little, but I knew he could hit those notes. So, but um, oh, cool. 
as far as Bloodsport goes, did did any of the songs actually get cut that you wanted to see make it in the film? Well, originally I had found uh, two other songs. One, where Steal the Night is, I'd found another song. And then the end credits were going to be another song. And I found a couple of songwriting partners, uh, not, of, not of mine, but people I knew, um, had some really perfect songs. Mm-hmm. And Mark DeSalle, the producer, okayed them as long as Stan hung them. <laughs> and then Cannon wouldn't pay for it. Cannon pulled the money. And so I couldn't do it. Uh, Mark decided he wanted to use Fight to Survive twice at, at the end credits as well as where it is in the fight scene the first day. Mm-hmm. So that end credits were okay. And then uh, basically the one of the uh, people in the music office of Canon had a boyfriend that had a song that, that was Steal the Night. I don't think they gave him any money. They just put it in the movie. Um, and he was happy to do it for the credit and for the royalties. And mm-hmm. I think it's probably done him well over the years uh, having that movie there. And then at some point uh, over the last ten years, Steal the Night became a big hit in Germany uh, just as a single. So, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> This movie, Bloodsport, has had uh, a magical life. I don't know how and why it happened, but it all sort of worked. Oh, absolutely. And it's like, I don't know if you know this, Paul, but I've actually personally trained under Frank Dukes. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I first met Frank, he actually said to me, he says, you know more about me than I do. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I only met Frank once. Um uh, there was a big uh, screening at Canon when the film was finished, mm-hmm. and I met a lot of the the people. Um, you know, I work in post production, so I don't generally meet anybody that's actually involved in the filming, except for the editor and the director, and and the producer. Um, I I did meet Jean Claude a few times because he would always be coming into the mass at the mixing sessions. Mm-hmm. For the film, but mostly I, I just met the post-production people. So, you know, um, at that uh, release party, I got to meet a lot of people, and Frank was there. You know, I got to meet some of the actors. Mm-hmm. That was the, actually at that particular party was one of the highlights of my life. I was sitting right behind the director, Newt Arnold, and his wife, and at one point during the flashback scene at the beginning, where mm-hmm. he was a little boy. Mm-hmm. The director, the director's wife, turned around to me and said, "Paul, you saved this movie," and that was like, "Oh, I couldn't believe it." That was a great, a great moment in my life. The director's wife actually telling me that it was pretty. Oh cool. wow, wow, yeah, I actually know, I actually know like David Worth as well. I know a lot of these mm-hmm. people that you speak of. So right. right. I listened to your uh, to your interview with David uh, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't oh, seen cool. him for for a long time cuz you know he he co-directed Kickboxer and I got to know David. He's a really nice guy. Very nice and actually it's funny you mentioned David because I told him that um I had you booked for the show. I just told him that I would just have to be very very patient. So and uh, he he was excited to hear about that. So right right. He was one of the people that supported me. When other people decided they didn't like me anymore, <laughs> he was a very nice man. Well, I will always be a fan of yours, Paul. To be honest, so thanks, 
Thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, oh. uh, but, uh, like, what was, like, when you, when you were composing both of these albums and stuff, what was the most challenging and hardest part of composing these films? Well, the hardest part was the, uh, time pressure. Um, generally speaking, the composer doesn't start working until the edit is finished. The editing needs to be locked. You know, you can't be changing timings once, you know, you can't have the film editor take frames out once, the, you know, once the composer is working because mm-hmm. the music has to f- hit the right places. So almost always the composer gets the film later than originally promised, but mm-hmm. the actual sound mixing stage has been booked for a certain date so there's always this squeeze um, I did one film where I had two and a half weeks to write an hour's worth of music and record it that was nuts uh, with both Bloodsport and Kickboxer I had about five weeks mm-hmm. and oh wow it, it took me about a week and a half to two weeks to do the recording mm-hmm. so I had about three three and a half weeks to write so there's always a lot of pressure you know you you as a film composer, you don't have time to sit around and worry about things like, well, I can't think of anything. You have to think of something. Not only do you have to think about it, but you have to get it written and orchestrated that day. And generally speaking, you have to write three to four minutes of music a day. Mm-hmm. So I was working seven days a week, about 18 hours a day, uh, on both of those films. And that's the only way I could get it done. So so I'd say time pressure was the biggest factor. Um, finances were another factor because on the films I did, I would just get a, a lump sum of money, and I had to pay for everything. You know, the, the uh, companies weren't going to pay for anything. So they gave me a sum of money, and I had to pay for the musicians, I had to pay for the studio, I had to pay for the engineering, I had to pay for anything extra like tape, because um, that was still in the days of tape. It wasn't digital yet. Uh, I think on Budsport, I've spent $1,000 just on tape. Um, mm-hmm. And that, this was 1987, remember? $1,000 was yeah. more yeah. than it is now. Um, that was a big part of my budget. Uh, and then you know, I, I had to uh, work in somebody else's studio and pay for it. <clears throat> and I think I spent 133 hours in, the studio, in this studio. And that was, you know, I forget how much an hour I paid, but that was quite a lot. Oh, wow, yeah. So so then if there's anything left over, I get to make some money. And yeah. I did save a little bit for myself, but not very much. I didn't get paid up front what, what I probably should have earned, but eventually the royalties came in and, and you know, I got paid back. I definitely got paid back. Yeah, it's definitely worth it but it, it took a while. Well, that, that's good to know, Paul, because, you know, because you never know in this business, you just never know, because stuff does happen, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, believe me, I know. I've, I've been on both sides of the fence where I got good good money and where I got cheated. I, I've been both places. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I know what it's like. Yeah, and I... I wanted to say a good friend of ours um, helped create your new album cover 
And I just think your new album cover is awesome. Right, Chadwick, Chadwick St. John. Yeah. Right, he's become one of my new best friends. He's done some awesome art. And, you know, people can, again, look on my website and see it. I'm going to put some more of his art up on Mm -hmm. my website over the next week or so. Mm -hmm. And I should be able to post a link to being able to buy that CD, too, next week. And it and it should be on iTunes as well, right? Correct. It will it will be on iTunes eventually. Mm-hmm. Although I would say that iTunes is going to be MP3s, and they're not as good as uh, the CD itself. Yeah, and I think CD CD Baby now you can actually uh, get a, a type of download that is pretty much the same as what's on the CD. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it costs anymore. You just have to know how to do it, and I'm not sure I know how, but that's what they're telling me. And I'll try and post some uh, instructions on my website when I figure it out. But uh, uh, you can can directly from CD Baby download CD mm-hmm. quality uh, files mm-hmm. called FLAC, whatever that stands for. Yeah. FLAC files. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's become a it's become a digital age, Paul. I mean. Oh yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, compa- because I remember growing up, we used to like set tapes, and, and now everything's CD or digital nowadays. Right. Well, when I grew up, we had records. Mm-hmm. Vital mm-hmm. records. And then we had tape recorders with reel-to-reel tape, and then we finally got cassettes that were good. And then all this digital stuff started happening. I personally love it because it enables me to do what I do. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't sit at home and do the kind of music I do now in the old days, because I wouldn't have been able to afford the machinery. Yeah. But because uh, digital stuff has become so affordable, I can actually record well. And if if you record digitally now uh, as a synthesizer player, you're going to get a lot of CD. You'll you'll see what I mean. It just really hits you in the face. Yeah. You know, yeah. analog synths are great in some ways, but the drum sounds can be a little flabby, and you hear that on Kickboxer and, and Bloodsport. Um, that's why I use so much real drums and on top of uh, my synthesizer drums. But with these new digital samples, boy, they really punch. So, you know, I'm looking forward to your hearing it, so you'll, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Oh, I... You know, I'm like a little kid at a candy store. I can't wait to hear it either, Paul. And, uh, you know, uh, t- talk a little bit about your track, uh, April Fool's Day, off of Freeing the Waters, because that is actually one of, I mean, the whole album is good, but uh, April Fool's Day is like my favorite track of the... Yeah, that's mine too. Um, I wrote that, let's see, that would have been about the summer of 1989, uh, just after I finished Kickboxer. And for various reasons I don't really want to get into, uh, a lot of business things were going bad for me. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my escape. And I don't know where that song came from. I wish I could write ten more of them. just came out of the blue, like sort of turning my mind off to a lot of negative stuff and coming out with something positive. And mm-hmm. I, I really, I really like that. I, I took some interesting sounds, sort of started with the sounds, uh, and started playing around. There's actually a repeating pattern that you hear a little bit in the quiet places that goes through the entire song. It's just the same thing. Mm-hmm. You don't hear it all the time, and that's good because it would be boring if you did. 
but that's where I started, and then I just all these melodies just came out of nowhere, and I put them down, and I didn't write any of the music on paper. I just did it all in my head and on the computer, and there it was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's one of the best things I've ever written. Uh, an in- I, interesting, uh, an interesting story about that. If if, if you have the time. Oh, we've uh, we've got plenty of time, Paul. As long as you need. A very dear friend of mine who is no longer with us was at that point. <laughs> he, he was a crazy, crazy guy, and I dedicated that CD to him. He was buying wine for Robert Redford. Um, mm-hmm. Don't ask. I don't know how that that happened. <laughs> And one day, Robert was going to be, uh, he worked at a restaurant at the time. He, Robert was going to be in the restaurant, and he left him a copy of that song, mm-hmm. my, friend, my friend Steve, hoping that uh, Redford would like it and put it in a movie. Unfortunately, Redford didn't show up, <laughs> so he never heard it. But I thought that was a, always a really nice thing. Uh, maybe it would have ended up in some movie if uh, the right guy had heard it. These are the kinds of things that happen in showbiz. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Oh, absolutely, Paul. And uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, too, uh, what made you to decide to actually release an intermittent version of... um, It's off the tip of my tongue, Still of the Night, on the CD, because I was kind of... I, I was kind of hoping for an inter- instrumental of uh, Fight to Survive, which I was a little disappointed there, but that's okay. Well, Steal the Night, I had nothing to do with. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to put it in score order, not the first song on the uh, CD, but Rob uh, wanted to put it first. And the instrumental version, I don't know, I had nothing to do with that um, because I didn't write it. Uh, Rob dealt with uh, the guy that wrote it, and I, they must have had some kind of agreement that that would happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I, I can't. I, I honestly can't tell you about that because mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. You know, Rob. Rob is the president of the company, so he got to do what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, that's okay. It's, it's his business. Mm-hmm. I don't, don't want to put him down because he's been very good to me. He's been a very good friend. Yeah. It, it, and while I got you on here, Paul, uh, when I when I release the show, do I have your permission to actually put in April Fool's Day into this into the show so um, people can actually hear hear that track? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I'll, I'll I'll send you an email that gives you permission. Okay. Uh, okay, because I just you know because. You know, copyright reasons and and all this other stuff. And right, right. Well, since I actually own all of that, lock, stock, and barrel, it's not a problem. Yeah, because I, I just, you know, I would just like to add that in into this uh, into this broadcast, you know, because I thought that would be pretty cool. So. Sure, that's not a problem. So, um, what is your what is your expectation? expectations for 2015, Paul. I mean, you're already releasing a new album already, you know. Well, I'm hoping that people will find it and like it and and actually buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really hard for musicians and composers these days because so many people will just uh, get downloads for free. I'm hoping people will actually buy this one just so they can have the physical copy, see the great artwork on it. And have the sound that's not MP3 quality. I'm hoping 
you know, I'm not doing this to make a lot of money because, you know, on freeing the waters, I just finally broke even last year. Um, I thought yeah. I paid off for my expenses. I still haven't really paid myself anything. It's just uh, I did actually reach a point where I recouped what I spent to make it. Mm-hmm. So that was good, and I'm hoping that I can at least do that with Waking the Dragon. Um, if if not, I'm, I'm not going to be able to put out any more. Mm-hmm. I have discovered that I probably own the rights to the score to Breathing Fire, and that I can probably release that. But I have to do a little more legal checking on that before I do it. Legal checking. I, mm-hmm. I might be able. I might be able to put Breathing the Breathing Fire score out sometime in the next couple of years if if everything works out mm-hmm. and if my copy of it turns out to be uh, workable I have it on reel-to-reel tape and reel-to-reel tape after a while falls apart yeah that, that's that's the thing about cassette tapes um, I was going to mention Paul that you know after listening to it for so long you know tapes and stuff just lose the sound quality that it first has when you first buy it so yep so, that's so. true. That's why I like digital in in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's always this big argument, what's better, digital or analog? Um, they both have their good points. Mm-hmm. But digital uh, holds up longer. Mm-hmm. That's one good point. Oh, oh, oh yeah, de- definitely. And, uh, you know, that that's why with a lot of my music, like my blood sport and kickboxer stuff, I have it all in my iTunes, you know, library. Mm-hmm backed up several places because when I actually met Frank for the first time, I actually had him to sign all my blood sports stuff and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And what was funny, Paul, is um, I think he was expecting just, you know, a few things. And I actually, can't, I actually, when I had my private signing with him, I brought in like a whole suitcase of stuff for him to sign. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. That's cool. But, um, I mean, to me, Paul, talking with you right now, this has been, this has been a dream come true for me, and, uh, you know, and, uh, the, uh, the promo that you made for me last year, um, that's a cool promo. I appreciate you recording that for me. Okay, the the sound I used on that is the opening sound from my new CD, so you'll, uh, you'll recognize that when you hear the CD. Oh, so that's from your new CD. I, I wondered where that actually came from. And it's the same sound I used to open the beginning of uh, Bloodsport. It's an old uh, Yamaha DX7 sound. Oh, wow. I brought up a few things that will make people remember in the new one. Mostly it's new sounds, but I got these classic sounds that people will recognize mm-hmm. from Bloodsport and Kickboxer. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to mention too, Paul. I really like the sound that you got for um, "Streets of Cyan." I mean, mm-hmm. everybody knows that one. Once it hits, I mean, once you hear that first note, you know it's "Streets right. of Cyan." Right. That was kind of fun to put together. Mm-hmm. One of the good things about Kickboxer was that I had—I um, knew I was going to do that film before it was uh, actually even filmed. Um, Mark DeSalle, the producer, signed me ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So I had all the months that they were filming to work on sounds and to do some rough 
types of uh, cues. I knew they wouldn't actually fit the movie, but I had the basic ideas for a lot of what I did. And I had put together some rough ideas for that song. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. I, I think I used like four different bass sa- sounds on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It, it was fun to play with that one. Mm-hmm. So it, I had, because it, I had more time, I was able to layer sounds better on that one. Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite such a rush. Mm-hmm. It, and also, Paul... Um, I wanted to tell you too. This is just this is just my personal preference. Even though I've already got a copy of this, I would love to see your Bloodsport soundtrack in iTunes, and it's not there yet. Uh, that is probably not going to happen because after Canon fell apart, uh, the ultimately MGM United Artists got hold of their catalog and they own it and. They're not going to probably do that unless they do it themselves. They might do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, it's been very difficult for me to get royalties out of them. Um, it took me something like 17 years to get royalties from the German release. Oh, wow. Um, maybe it was even more than that. Um, I think it was something like that. Yeah, I think that's what it was, something like 17 years. Um and then I was able to get royalties for the Perseverance release. But then there's some other things that they haven't been willing to give me, so it's hard to do. The film companies have their own way of accounting, and it's not always easy to uh, for the uh, lower-level people like me to get the money. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's tricky. Uh-huh. So... Anyway, they're probably not going to put that on iTunes because mm-hmm. they don't want... Well, they they issued Perseverance a license for a limited number, and that's it. And I don't think that Rob can put it out without their permission. So mm-hmm. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Now, now, you have the rights to Fight to Survive, correct? Um, Stan has the right to the master. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he doesn't have the right to the publishing because Stan's voice was originally not allowed to be used anywhere else. Mm-hmm. He was able to uh, get hold of the mastering license a few years ago. I kind of yeah. worked with him to do that. Um, okay. okay. But that doesn't mean he has the right to use the song anywhere because he doesn't own the publishing. Uh, okay, because. Uh, because one of my questions for you, Paul, is like, um, uh, eventually I would love to be able to release, actually release, my version that I recorded onto iTunes. So, Well, that you would have to talk to MGM about, and I don't <laughs> know what they're likely to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, nothing I can... To, there's nothing I can do about that. That's yeah, that, that that's fine, Paul. I mean, I I would just love to be able to do that, though. But you know, you know, you know how it goes. You know. Yeah, I uh, do know. I do know. I just know that uh, they're pretty they're pretty fussy about their copyrights. Well, oh, oh yeah. Anybody is nowadays. You have to be very, very careful. Right. Uh, now, I do know also that lots of people put stuff out and they don't have the rights, 
and you know, generally speaking, if it's small time, nobody's going to chase you. Yeah. But I, I don't. I'm not recommending that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because I have had so much of my own stuff stolen from me without my permission. Not. Uh, it's not fun, and I understand why big companies will protect their copyrights. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like to this day, people will tell me, you know, you did a good job on that song, and I'll say, yeah, but it's you know, it's not my song. I just had it completely redone in a different way, you know. So, right. so people people know it's still your track. It's just you know, I did it in a completely different different way. Yeah, I understand. But it's still the same lyrics, and they they own them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but th- this has been this has been really fun, Paul. Um, before uh, I let you go, do you, do you have any closing closing statements? Well, not really. I've just really been happy to do this. I'm I've been promising it to you for a long time. I took longer than I thought it would, but. I wanted to wait till Waking the Dragon was finished. Mm-hmm. And it finished, and it's coming out next week, so by golly, it's about time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been really happy that you've been collecting me- remembrances of the various people involved in these films. And I wish I knew more of them to have you talk to. You know, the uh, one guy that I knew the best, Mark DeSalle, uh, has disappeared. I can't find him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he left Hollywood long time ago, and uh, I think he's in the computer business up in Washington somewhere, but he obviously doesn't want anybody to find him, because yeah. <laughs> but he can. Yeah. Uh, he I, would be the guy He would be the guy that knows everything about these films, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he's uh, hidden himself away. Wow, so yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, that, I guess I'm, I'm, we're trying to close here, and I keep telling you new things. Uh, thank you, thank you so okay. much. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I hope that uh, I hope that I said everything you needed me to say. And I do have, for those of your listeners that don't know about it, uh, a website at paulherzog.com, mm-hmm. and I put a lot of stories there about these two movies. Mm-hmm. And so people can read uh, what I didn't say today. They can read up on them. Oh, absolutely, Paul. Before I let you go, I wanted to share something with you. Um, in April, I'm being inducted into the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame because of my uh, dedication and hard work on this uh, on this show. So. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I saw that uh, that you posted that online, but that's really great. Mm-hmm. I'm really really happy for you. Mm-hmm. I hope you have, I hope you have a great time. Oh, it, it, it's it's. It's going to be a blast, and um, you know, once I get once I get pictures and stuff done, I may send you like a couple of pictures, you know, through email and and right. and keep in contact with you. So. Absolutely, that's fine. So. Put some stuff on my Facebook page. Mhm, mhm. And uh, I I do hope uh, I do hope that I get to actually meet you someday. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I'm in LA area, and you're in West Virginia. So, if we're ever uh, one place or the other, we'll get together. Well, I, actually, that may happen, Paul, because um, I was talking with um, Shel Kesey, who was Tom Poe and Kickboxer. 
once once he um, returns back to the U.S. and moves to L.A., I do have clearance um, to actually come visit him and his wife in L.A. Mm-hmm. So, so that may that may happen. Cool. So. Well, just in touch. Mm-hmm. And I I hope that your uh, listeners enjoy this show. I've been rambling a bit, but I hope they uh, they like my rambles. Uh, I'm sure they will, Paul. Because whether you agree with this or not, you're a true you're a true legend. Well, thank you. To a lot I of people. That. I appreciate that. Uh, well, that's great. So thanks for this opportunity, then. And I think maybe uh, we should call it an evening, huh? Uh, absolutely. Now, Paul, are you on are you on Twitter by any chance, or just just Facebook? I uh, haven't learned the Twitter thing. Nope, I'm not on Twitter. Mm. I try to advance a little bit with technology, but I haven't gotten too far. Yeah, yeah. Well, with that said, Paul, we'll go ahead and end the show. So thank you guys for listening. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Justin Ray Harvey. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it, brother.